My name is Josh. Good to be with you guys. I think most of you know me already. Um, we are uh, kind of going through this little mini-series. Uh, Brandon uh, made a cool cover photo for. Uh, that's a quote from Jesus, that we may all be one, be perfectly one, uh, which is just a, a mind-blowing thing that Jesus desires for his followers, like in a, in a place, like real you know, humans in a place. And Jesus is uh, biblical vision, Jesus' vision for a church and what it can and should be, and just the, more broadly the biblical vision for a church, is just breathtakingly beautiful for me. Like it's something that I want to just deeply embed my, my life pursuing uh, you know, until, until I die. Uh, it's, it's why Camille and I moved from, uh, from our families and our friends uh, to this small town we had never heard of be, to a church that said, you know, we are looking for a pastor because we're dying. Uh, you know, the, all that stuff. Uh, well, it was really just kind of, to some degree, fuel, uh, fuel on my fire because I, I see God being a God of redemption, of revitalization, of bringing new life. And uh, that, that vision of what the Bible talks about is, is you know, why that, why that we're here. Um, just a, a local body of Jesus follow, followers that are uh, setting up their lives to love God with everything that they are and to love each other as Christ loved them. Uh, that's beautiful. That's epic. And, and that's, what, um, that's all I want out of life. And but if you've been around church, you know, longer than 15 minutes, you know that the, there's a huge gap between that vision and, and, and reality. Uh, you know, church, uh, especially in our country, is marked by all kinds of splits and quarrels and divisions and uh, all kinds of stuff. And just, you know, how, how, does, how do we get from the place where our King and Savior says, like, I pray that they will be one, even as the, the Father and I are one, to, you know, squabbling over missionary Christmas gifts or, you know, what, whatever the, the argument of the day is. And, and the answer that I want us to consider is that a, a, a robust and biblical understanding of church membership is, is one of the key ways that, that we create unity, that, or that God creates unity through the power of his word by his, by his spirit. Um, uh, it's not just a, kind of an arbitrary, like, where do you attend kind of deal, but a, a, a robust covenantal, like, choice, like, vow almost uh, of membership is one of the ways that we create, create unity. And one of the goals, uh, the hearts, my heart's desires, the deacons and I, as we look at our church, is to see our member roles, the people who are, have officially become members, uh, look like, um, uh, reflect reality, that we, that we could look at the list of our members and say, Yes, I, um, I, we, we look at these people, and these, these are people who are seeking to love God. These are people who are seeking to practice the one another's here in, in our church. And so we just want to look today at what uh, the, the church, what the Bible says about church membership. And my main point this morning, um, if, you're, if you're taking notes or filling in the blanks, is that church membership is how the world knows who represents Jesus. Robust biblical church membership is how the church, or is how the world knows who represents Jesus. One of the staggering realities of, of God's design is that he has given authority to the local church to affirm, to affirm who belongs to Jesus' kingdom. That's a, a radically countercultural statement that I'm making. I realize because we live in you know a day in, of the individual, uh, where nobody you know, it's just me and Jesus. Like nobody can tell me what to do. Um, I don't need the church or anything like that. Uh, but just hear me saying like that's just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible uh, leaves no space for any kind of like lone ranger, you know, just just me and Jesus kind of kind of spiritual spirituality. 
uh, even just like a cursory look at how Jesus lived his life, he was almost never alone with one of his disciples. Like he had a, a group of three that he hung out with. He had a group of 12 that he hung out with. Uh, with one of his disciples, he was almost never alone. So we follow Jesus in community with people. And really, uh, the term membership kind of hurts us because, you know, we can be members of anything. Like we're members of Amazon Prime, right? And as soon as, you know, Amazon Prime gets the price too high or takes away our free movies, like we're, we're out, right? Or at least I am. Um, because we, we are in an exchange, in exchange, transactionary uh, kind of relationship where if you are a member of a, the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or something, you do it if it's beneficial or you, you pay your dues and you show up. Um, and you hobnob, uh, but if you don't like it, then you, you, can just, you can just leave. And, but in Scripture, we don't really see like a group of individuals like volunteering to join uh, an organization or to buy into a company like Amazon Prime. Instead, we see citizens of a new kingdom. I think citizen is a much more helpful word for what we're going for when we talk about biblical membership. As followers of Jesus, people have said, Jesus is my, my Savior and he's Lord of my life. We're not just members of a club, but we're citizens in his kingdom. If you think about a kingdom or a country, you know, it's something that you're born into. Just like all of us, are, I think most of us, all of us, uh, are citizens of, of the United States of America. And I don't think any of us immigrated here, uh, at least our, our generation. Uh, we were just born and just by virtue of being born, we became citizens of the United States. We didn't volunteer or uh, some kind of like transactionary optional relationship where if we don't like it, then we can cease to be a citizen. But we're just born, and just by being born, we now have to live and submit to the laws of the land. What is one of the ways the Bible talks about becoming a Christian? Being born again. So when we become Christians, uh, we are born into Jesus' kingdom. Now we're just, objectively, we are a part of a people, a kingdom, a group of people that are under King Jesus. And this is the good news of the gospel. Not, not just that we are, our sins are forgiven and we're healed of our brokenness, but now we belong in Jesus' kingdom. We belong living life with God under his rule. Citizens, we don't, cho- don't choose to belong. They just are. They just simply do belong by birth. So the claim to follow Jesus or to be a Christian means that biblically, by new birth, someone is claiming to be a member of, or to be a, a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. And that brings us to the, to the first point today. Jesus is the king. Jesus has all of the authority of his kingdom. Just period. And this is just a crucial starting point. It might seem kind of obvious or whatever, but as we talked about last week, typically, and I would, I would go so far as to say most of the time, 99% of the time, when there's division in the church, when there's issues and conflict in the church, it's because there's a question of what, to what degree does Jesus have authority? To belong in the church, just like to belong in America, you have to recognize the authority of the government, at least a little bit. I know we're, some of us are political junkies here. I'm not trying to get, get into, into politics here, but just the point is that Jesus has all the authority in his kingdom. And, and Jesus' people... Uh, the people are people who want to be in his kingdom, who want Jesus to have all of the authority and want to follow his authority. And this is a mark of someone who is a Christian who claims to follow Jesus. One of the reasons, as Sadie talked about, the Bible gives us for why conflict arises in the church is because people's selfish desires uh, Dominate and they, they conflict with other people's selfish desires, and so now we have fight. And that's ultimately a form of rejecting our king. 
but seeking to be our own authority. Naturally, if Joe is fighting for what Joe wants, and sorry, you're trying to fall asleep. I'm going to use you as an example. And then Sue is fighting for what she wants, then what higher authority do they have? It's just Joe, what Joe wants versus what Sue wants. And they're just going to kick and scream about it until, you know, whoever's loud enough or... <laughs> um, and then, you know, and then eventually, we'll, the, you know, be a church split. And Joe will start the Church of Joe, and Sue will start the Church of Sue, and they'll just race each other to Ruby Tuesdays on Sunday so we can get done with the gathering, <laughs> gathering first. I, I just, like, we, we laugh at that, but, like, that, that is kind of the, one of the, the main... The, the main causes of, of church division is when it's just like, this is what I want. I just like it. I just want it that way. I don't have a reason. Jesus didn't say it. it just, it's just what I want. But hopefully this concept of Jesus being king and Jesus having all the authority isn't brand new to us, at least intellectually. I think letting that play out in our lives is something that we'll, we'll grow in, uh, Lord willing, for years. But let me just read a couple passages so you know that I'm not making this up. John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So all things have been put under Jesus' power. And then Matthew 28, right at the end of the, the gospel we're preaching through, says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So we have Jesus risen from the dead. The last thing he wants to say to his followers is, I have all of the authority. And therefore, go and extend my authority. Make disciples, followers of me in the the earth baptizing them into the, the community of, of, of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. And I think it's just one of the most underrated and neglected teachings of, of our day and age is that, that Jesus is Lord. He's king. He, he, he can't be our savior unless he's also the Lord of our lives. The, the power by which he is our savior, that he died for our sins and took on the wrath of God for us. Is the, is the very power that makes him king over everything, the name that is above all other names. To say that we trust in Jesus just to save us from our sins, but then not submit to him as Lord of our lives is just is, is a paradox, is a contradiction of, of terms, is foolishness. And ultimately, it's a rejection of Jesus. We can't pick and choose what parts of Jesus we accept. I think it's a... Um, it's a huge neglect of the teachings of the Bible, and I think it's you know largely influenced by our co- country's culture of that uh, of the individual, that individual pursuit of happiness. But hope I'm not the first one to tell you this. There's a difference between Jesus's kingdom and America. America is a blessing. We'll get to that in a minute. I, I wore red and white, blue today, uh, just to validate that. But as, as scary as it is to consider words like authority and submission. Um, it's really good news to take off the crown and take off trying to decide how to live life and our smallness and our finiteness and, uh, and to let him have a final say in what, what our lives look like. And, and then all, doing all this submission, do all this authority through the lens that he's also our savior. He's also the one who loved us literally to death. 
The one who was willing to die for us is also the one who calls us to die, lay down our lives and follow him. The one who was willing to take all our shame, all, all the wrath we deserved, all the punishment we deserve is also the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Since he died for us, we know that his authority is pure. We know that it's good, that it's loving, and we can submit to it, we can, and we can live in his love. So Jesus has all the authority. Uh, my next point is that Jesus delegates his authority. Jesus delegates his authority. Just like all good authorities, Jesus delegates it. And this is very obvious when we think about it. Does the president write traffic tickets or you know sign refund checks, tax refund checks or whatever? No, there's, there's always a, a good authority delegates it. And so all authority is given to Jesus, and then Jesus has then, in turn, delegated to others. So it's not, he's, it's not that they have the authority necessarily, but it's been given to them by, by Jesus. And I just really want to see, see this, this paradigm, this biblical teaching on authority. So flip over to uh, Romans 13 with me. This is page 1764, if you're following along in the Pew Bible, Romans 13, because it's just really crucial that we understand how the Bible treats treats authority if we want to uh, follow it, if we want to follow Jesus. So let me read it here. Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Romans 13, 1 through 5. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no, no terror for those who do right, but those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For, God, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant and an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Well, there's a whole sermon series in that. But suffice it to say, the biblical teaching on authority is that all of it is established by God. You even hear that in Jesus' authority. He said, the Father has given all things under my power. He has given the, his authority is given by God the Father. And so when we see government uh, obviously play out that's what the context of this passage is uh, or even small things like a child with a parent or an employee with a boss the teaching of scripture is that it is not arbitrary it is not by accident that God has established that authority uh, over you or to put you over somebody else and when one of those roles just like Sadie mentioned is like the the way things are is the way things are is, is, and it's on purpose and God has an invitation for us in that and scripture does not say that just because God establishes it that that authority is perfect, but just that in his manifold wisdom, he's established it, and even its imperfections, even its flaws, he's going to redeem and use for his purposes and his glory. So again, in this passage, it's talking about government. Authority has been de delegated to governments to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. One of the ways we see God's authority and Jesus' authority play out in the world is seeing the government punish evil. And I think 
you know, again, I'm really not trying to get into politics, just in the most like basic level of human civilization, we can all look around and be really grateful to our good God for the government that we have. We see the mercy of God to us in this delegation because we all drove or walk here on sidewalks that were clear and safe. And none of us had a, a huge fear of being held up by a band of ro roving bandits that are going to, you know, take, take all our stuff and beat us up. You know, it's, I think it's, I have to check the history books, but it's been a really long time since, like, Reed City banded together and came down to pillage Big Rapids and, like, take all our sheep or, or whatever. Like, we, we live in a time where the, the civilization has been established in such a way that there's safe, like, there's, there's all this safety that we have. There's all these freedoms that we have. The, the safety and structure that we have is a result of God's delegated authority to the government to punish wrongdoers, that we've established a civilization where we don't, you know, need to, like, fight to the death to go to the grocery store because people are going to try to kill us or rob us. Governments keep track of their citizens, and they have laws to enforce uh, on their citizens and with the hopes the, of promoting human flourishing. And so I go through this analogy because we all, this is where we live in. We all understand that governments, you know, have a say and all that stuff, and the, and the Bible is just clear that that say that the governments have, the authority the governments have come, comes from Jesus. Ultimately, all that to say, the second delegation of authority that we're going to look at in Scripture is that authority has been delegated to the church. Jesus' ultimate and, and supreme authority has been delegated to the church in a specific way. Just like the government has been given authority by God to punish wrongdoers, the church has been given authority to determine who represents Jesus, who is actually a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. And that, that's, our, that's our main point for, for this, this morning. And I know, again, it's hugely offensive that anybody could have any say on what's going on in, in, in my heart, in my soul, in my walk, in my relationship with my, personal, uh, my own personal Jesus. But please stick with me and just consider the, the, the teachings of, of Scripture here. So flip over to uh, our sermon text, Matthew 16. Uh, page 1524 in the Pew Bible. While you're turning there, a little bit of background. Jesus, typically when he's giving instructions, he's talking to his, his disciples. He's giving instructions to group, groups of disciples. And he doesn't mention church a lot. Actually, only two times in all of the Gospels does Jesus ever say the word ecclesia, which we translate which we translate church. And I think this is a huge deal because he's, he's discipling, he's training his followers to live and be and treat each other a certain way. And because he's brilliant, he knew that the Holy Spirit would give more instructions later on uh, for how to be the church. And that's what a lot of the rest of the New Testament is. These epistles to the church, some apostles that spoke uh, by the power of the Spirit and gave the church instructions. Uh, so the fact that these two in, two teachings were so important, it's almost like Jesus kind of like skipped ahead. It's almost like he like just kind of jumped ahead and be like, on these two things, I'm not. I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to the assembly, the the the, the group of people that are following me. So I think we, we should take these really seriously. We're just going to look at one one of them today. I'm going to start in verse 18. Camille read the whole context, but uh, you, you got that uh, Simon Peter confesses that Jesus is king. Christ, that's what Christ means. He's, you are king. You are the son of the living God. 
Jesus blesses him and says, this is a gift. Like this, this awareness of me and, and my king, kingdom is something that was not, uh, that not revealed to you by man, but by my father. And this is what he says to Peter. Verse 18, Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Well, Jesus is being witty here. This is a really complicated text, lots and lots of debate about. Uh, but he's, Jesus was a really witty guy, I think, and actually like, pretty funny. We miss a lot of that. Because Peter in Greek is Petras, and rock in Greek is Petra. And so he's saying, like, you are Petras, and on this Petra, I'm going to build my church. What is he saying here? What, like, what is happening here? Peter's speaking for the disciples in this confession that you are, you are king, you are, you are the Christ, uh, you are the son of the living God. And he's saying that the people who affirm and believe and live like this confession is true are the, the foundation of the church, are, are what the, the church is, like, consists of. And does he tell Peter to, and the disciples to go and build the church? Like, you are the foundation, so go and build, build it up. No, he says, you are the substance, you are the, the, the rocks, and I will build my church. Praise God for that. Wish we could talk about that more. But Jesus builds his church. Yes and amen. But here we get to the delegation of, of authority. He's looking at Peter, who is kind of like the, the front runner the, of the disciples. He's the one that gives like the first spirit-powered sermon and sees people saved in Acts 2. Look at what he says in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is delegating the authority of the kingdom to his professing, believing, and obeying people. And this is just really mind-blowing. He's saying, you hold the keys to the kingdom, that not only do you go and make disciples, but you also establish how, how people get in and who, who has citizenship in the kingdom of God. How do people enter the, God? Through the, enter the kingdom of God? Through the gospel. Believing by faith Jesus is who he said he was. Believing his Lord and Savior, that he saved us from our sins, and that he's called called us to follow him and obey him as Lord of our lives. And so the keys then given to the church, you'll notice that uh, it's given to Peter as the spokesperson for all the disciples, establishes who has confessed faith in Jesus and is living a life that shows that that faith is true, that is, that is real. James talks about that I show you my faith by my works. The works don't save us, but they're evidence of what happens when we have faith. A faith that is a saving faith results in transformed lives that look completely different, that are marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I always start the list, and I'm like, okay, let's finish it. Which brings me to my next point. Like, what does the church do with these keys? Like, what does this mean practically? The next point is the church is the embassy of Jesus' kingdom. The church is the embassy of Jesus' kingdom. What is an embassy? It's an outpost of a home country set up in a host country, in a foreign, in a foreign land. So there's a U.S. embassy in China, and that space, that building, that, that land is an outpost of the U.S. where the interests of the U.S. and the people of the U.S. are pursued and protected and have resources all within the host country of China. So if you're in China with a U.S. passport and you show up there, you can, you can get in and you can get help and you can get protection. And 
The church, the gathered people of God, filled with the Spirit, is we're called the temple. We're, we're where the presence of God dwells on earth. And so the gathered people are a place where the interests of Jesus' kingdom and the people of Jesus' kingdom can be safe and are pursued and protected. And It's the assembly of saints, the, the embassy is where people are to go to figure out how to get into Jesus' kingdom. Look what the next part of 19 says. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So if someone shows up to the U.S. Embassy and says, oh, yeah, I'm a citizen, they'll be like, awesome, great, can we see your passport? Can I see the documents that show that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God? And the person's like, oh, I don't have any of that stuff. That's, that's, that's boring. But trust me, I'm a citizen. I was born in the U.S., so I'm for sure a citizen. Well, they, they would ask. They would require proof. They would ask for documentation. Even if it was true that this person was born in the U.S. and is a U.S. citizen, the embassy looks for, for a passport, for evidence. And if not, they would say, like, we're not saying you're a liar. We're just saying we don't see any evidence of it. We're not saying we, we don't see any proof that you are, that you were born in the U.S. and you are a, a, a citizen. We can't recognize it. We can't bind you in the U.S. So that person's then then loosed. This is what the church is for the kingdom of God. They bind and loose. They determine based on the information given if someone is a citizen in the kingdom of God. If someone makes a claim, I'm a Christian, I belong to the kingdom of God, the church says, great, awesome, welcome. Can, can we see your passport? But what is the passport for entering the kingdom of God? This is the, the, the next point. The short answer, the one word answer, is repentance. And this is not literally something that like, we do as a church. I don't really know any churches that are like, a new person comes and we, they, you know, then we say, like, what's your passport? Show us, your, show us the evidence or whatever. And uh, the, that, that actually happened with Sue. I went to visit her shortly after she started the visit. And she was like, is this my interrogation? And I'm like, whoa, I'm just excited to get to know you. I'm just, we're, we're just friends here. It's all good. Uh, so I know repentance is a scary word. Uh, it's been abused, and you know it's associated with turn and burn preachers, and uh, it's like, like you know self-flagellation or just being down on ourselves or whatever. But according to Scripture, repentance is a beautiful gift. It's given to us where we acknowledge our brokenness, we acknowledge that we don't have to be, we aren't perfect, and we don't have to be, and that there's grace when we repent. This is a, a huge emphasis of all the teachings of the New Testament. Jesus, when he kicks off his ministry, after 30 years of being a carpenter, he's, he's, he's on mission now. He begins his three years of ministry. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Mark summarizes like this. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You see him proclaiming that the kingdom's here. How do you get in? Repent. Believe and, and repent. And then you even see it as the church kicks off in Acts 2. Peter preaches this like brutal sermon to a bunch of Jewish people talking about how they killed Jesus and all this stuff. It's very not seeker friendly. And then this is what happens. When they heard, when they heard this, Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. 
that's it. Repentance is good news because it gets us into the kingdom of God, of life with God under his rule. It's such good news because the passport into the kingdom has nothing to do with our track record. It has nothing to do with what we have done or what we haven't done, but everything to do with what Jesus has done. Just like if I was in China and I showed up in the U.S. Embassy and I showed my passport, you know, what did I do to, to earn that passport? I was just born. I didn't pick my parents or the country I was born in. I was just born. And so now I can just get a passport very simply. Am I more special than anybody else who'd want to be? No, I, just, I was just born. That's what repentance is. We're cut to the heart by our sin. We realize nothing we ever, ever could do or have done could get us into the kingdom. And then by the power of the Spirit, we're born again. But let's just imagine someone doesn't, is not born in the U.S. and doesn't have a passport. They show up to the U.S. Embassy in China, but they speak immaculate English, better than all of us, even. They know every word of the Star Spangled Banner. They come decked out in patriotic colors, red, white, and blue. They sing God Bless America. They know all the lyrics to every Garth Brooks song, and they even, like, pull up in a Chevy pickup truck or something, and, uh, which would be hilarious to see in, in China. They can recite every state, you know, that ex exists in our union and every president we've ever had, which is probably more than most of us can do. But they were not born there, and they don't have a passport. All those things don't count for anything, don't mean anything, and being a, a citizen. So what would be the most true thing for the embassy to say to that person? Great Garth Brooks impression. I love that song, too. But I'm sorry, you're still not a citizen. But here's the process to become one. The, the, the door is open. The process is, is right here, and you can, be, you can begin it. So if we show up to church and we say, I'm a Christian because I've prayed a prayer. I made a decision when I was nine. Or I've never missed a Sunday in 80 years. Or I've taught Sunday school, and uh, I've preached sermons. And, but we don't show a heart of repentance that embraces, <coughs> excuse me, embraces our brokenness, that, that trusts in Jesus, then what would be the most true thing for the church to say to that person? What would be the most loving thing to say to that person? <coughs> Sorry, I need a water break. The church would say, thank you so much for everything that you've done. Thank you for how you've, you've served, but we love you and we don't see the passport of repentance. But the good news is that repentance is free. It's a, the, the way into the kingdom is free. All we have to do is just let all that stuff go and it, it acknowledge that we're wrong, acknowledge that we're sinful. Repent and believe the gospel, that we can trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. That we can turn from our bitterness, turn from all the things that people have done against us, turn from all our selfishness, follow Jesus. The mark of a Christian is repentance. The mark of a Jesus follower is one who repents, not like one who repented like once a long time ago and hasn't looked back, but one that openly and regularly acknowledges sin and brokenness and seeks to turn from, this is the follow Jesus part, seeks to turn from that sin and turn to Jesus turn to follow Jesus's way of life. You know, it's not repentance if you're like, yes, I know this thing I'm doing is bad, but I'm just going to keep doing it. 
Like that's not you're acknowledging that it's wrong, but you're not repenting because repentance involves a turn. This is super good news because it means we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be sinless to be a citizen in Jesus' kingdom. We can be a total mess. But we see our sin, we hate it, we turn from it. We set up our lives uh, to leave sin and follow Jesus. But again, if someone says they're a Christian but does not display this passport of repentance and is part of a church, what, what should the church do? What should the church say to that person? Well, the, they seek to do the most true and loving thing and call that person to repentance. So just two things as, as we close, two ideas as we close. We're in a season as a church family where we have people in our membership that are claiming to be citizens of the kingdom but, but aren't showing a passport of repentance. And so just like Sadie read, we're, we're joining in Jesus, God uh, reconciling everything to himself and calling them to repentance. But if the people that we're addressing can't see in their ongoing pattern of sin, they can't see their ongoing pattern of sin and don't turn from it and trust Jesus, then, then, then we, we have to do what the, the embassy of the kingdom is meant to do with, with the keys to the kingdom and the, the power to loose and bind is, and remove them from membership. To say clearly, gently, brokenly, and lovingly, we don't see the passport of repentance. We don't see a life marked by repentance and the fruit of the spirit that comes from it. So please repent and believe the gospel. We want to preach the same message that, that Jesus preached. Let me just say, this process is awful. Like Nobody wants to do this. This is a public relations nightmare. If I wanted to be popular and make more money and get more people in church, this would be miles away from my plan. But I think... One of the reasons why we have that gap that we talked about at the beginning between this beautiful vision of Jesus' followers being together in love and on mission and then the reality of splits and squabbles and controversy is because I think we as a church in our country, and I think also here personally, we've neglected to check passports. Let, let anybody slap the name on of Christian on. And so it's like extra hard right now because this is like brand new, even though it's been in the Bible for 2,000 years. But when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When's the second best time? Right now. And so, so that's why we are painfully and brokenheartedly stepping forward in this process. And that's what we're going to talk about more uh, in our member meeting right after the gathering. So plan on sticking around for that. And here's the last thing that, that, I, want, that I want to close with. Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus? Have you sought Jesus for grace, sought to follow him with your whole life? The Bible is very clear that there will be lots of people on that day say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all this stuff for you? And he says, go away. I never knew you. Because I think for a lot of us, repentance stays really abstract in our heads. We know that generally we are sinners. I don't think anybody here would say that they are perfect. Oh, yeah, I know I sin, and nobody's perfect. We all know in our heads that Jesus has died. But what is it like for you to repent of a specific sin? Like, I saw my pride anew this week, and it was horrifying. I'm seeing lust come up in my heart and mind that terrifies me. 
I'm seeing how selfish I am with my wife. What, what, is, it, what is it like to, in real time, with immediate current sins, to, to confess them to God and to others? Do we, feel, do we feel any horror in our hearts towards that sin that we see? And then, and then the beautiful response of people who are in the kingdom of seeing sin and then just receiving anew the sweetness of the gospel, that that was a sin that Jesus paid for on the cross. That's a sin that's been washed away by the blood of Jesus. And we're overcome with, with love and mercy and grace. Jesus says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. Do we feel any sense of urgency to change the way we live, to get sin out of our life because we hate it? We see it hurting ourselves and hurting those around us and defaming the name of Jesus, and we want him to be king? As we address this issue in our church, the, the cry in my heart, whatever happens in this specific situation, is that it would that God would also address all of our hearts anew and pointedly and piercingly and call us to examine our lives for the fruit of repentance. Is my life marked by repentance and faith? Do I live like Jesus is king? Do I mourn my sin and seek to obey Jesus? Can I confess my sin to others? Are there other people that I confess my sin to, like James 5 tells us to do? Not that they issue forgiveness, but that's a practice that we do in the body of Christ, that if we can confess to others, we also confess to God, and they can speak the truth of the gospel over us. So while we're looking, we're in the process of looking at our members in the church and considering the passport of repentance, God forbid, God forbid that we neglect to look at our own hearts. I don't want to end with just a beautiful picture of this that I got this week. Uh, one of the things that I uh, long for, almost to the point of tears, is uh, more older men uh, to, that I can do life with and learn from and be in ministry with. Uh, I feel my youth so acutely, and God's blessed me with Jeff. Uh, super thankful for him. Uh, but, you know, we, we've talked about Titus two and this beautiful picture of intergenerational uh, church family, and I, I, I pray with Sue about it regularly, just praying for God to send godly older men who can be steadfast in the gospel. And, and I was telling that, talking about that with Brandon, so he uh, set up a blind date with an older man. <laughs> it was weird to say, so... But uh, <laughs> anyways, so Brandon and this older guy, and uh, we're, we're, we're getting coffee this week. Out, and um, and it was just to get, you know, get to know him, he's a cool guy. He's uh, preached sermons. He's been an elder at a church. He's done missions work. And you know, he's just like a pretty, pretty dynamic dude. And, and all that was well and good. Uh, but like right towards the end, he was like, I know you guys are going through hard stuff in the church. And you know what? I was on the other side of that. I was on the other side screaming at the leadership, being so offensive, and one of the pastors came up and said, hey, you really hurt me, and I was in such a bad place that I said, good, that's what I wanted to do. And he said, uh, a couple years later, I was at a conference, and God slayed me over that and broke my heart, and I came crawling back to the leadership and had, and had to repent. And I was like, that's really powerful, dude, that's beautiful. And he's like, he like looks me straight in the eye and says, repentance is a gift. And it was just like this beautiful moment of seeing like this is what an, an aged wise saint looks like, someone who can be very quick to share a super ugly thing. Like we just met, and he's like, I was glad that I'd heard a pastor. That's what, you know, that, that's what he confessed. And he's like, God convicted me, and he said, repentance is a gift. Let me pray. Oh, Father. 
we stand before these this powerful and beautiful and piercing and overwhelming realities of your word and your kingdom, what life with you looks like. And uh, we just need you to be with us and to comfort us. Father, as we are in this just uh, impossibly painful season uh, in a ch- as our church family, as we seek to, um, in our uh, incomplete, imperfect way, obey Jesus and exercise the keys of the kingdom and and also to join him in the ministry of reconciliation, you making your, your appeal, your plea to others to be reconciled to God. Father, would you bless our meager, feeble, imperfect efforts because you are a powerful, perfect God. Father, would you comfort us in the truth that Jesus will build his church, uh, that it's not up to us. And Father, would you, uh, would you build us into a, a church that glorifies you, that follows Jesus together uh, for your glory and our joy in his name. Amen.